Okay, everybody, welcome to the show. Gideon, how's it going this week, man? Going well. Just uh, hanging out. Finished this movie up last night. I'm excited to talk about it today. Things have been just chill and nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Other notable things I watched real quick. I watched both the National Treasure movies for the first time. Treasure. Treasure. (laughs) Wow, first time? First time watched for both, and it was great. How How do they sit in 2024? I mean, I thought they held up. Just really fun. Nicolas Cage is hilarious. Um, I like the villains. I like the puzzles. It was just a, a good time. Yeah, it was like a fun Saturday night movie. I, I can't remember. Does um, the first one get political at all, Gideon? Um, not that I can recall off the it. bat, but That's I could be wrong. It's anti-Brit because the villain is Sean Bean. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I- I was gonna say this is one of the only scene bean movies where he doesn't die horribly. Almost at the beginning, dude. It was close. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, a f- fun fact. Uh, I almost said Ben Franklin. Um, Nick Cage's character in this movie, his dad is John Voight, who is Angelina Jolie's dad, mm-hmm. and yep. also uh, the lead actor in Deliverance, which I really want to get to at some point. Oh yeah. Um, which is an excellent, excellent movie, um, this, despite some uh, kind of unsavory stuff that goes down during the course of the movie. Um, but definitely want to get to Deliverance at some point. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, today you also watched the, the the new trailer for Death Stranding 2, which was a movie oh, in yeah. and of itself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it awesome. was awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll do like a live reactions, like one of these kind of <laughs> kind of trailer things for the uh for that at some point and record it and put it up somewhere yeah. um awesome uh alex princeton how's it going this week man sam it's going good um very professional here i'm eating uh tacos off cam yeah what kind of tacos uh pork al pastor mm, yeah i, I like those with the uh, pineapple on oh, them yeah yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's some good stuff. Just from a local joint. Yeah, and the liquor store brought back my favorite beer, so hard to get. Back hey. That. Yeah, the beer you like is about to come back in style, as the, uh, as Twin Peaks says. Uh, and last but certainly not least, uh, Neil, how's it going this week, man? Uh, you know, it's been a long week already, and it's only Wednesday, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I will survive. And, yeah. Uh, eating a meal succulent chinese meal mm-hmm. yeah what do you got i got some uh panda express orange chicken and beijing beef mm. man nice. i tell you what uh, coral ridge mall circa 2006 you go up there you head to the food court around lunchtime there is a 30 man deep line for the panda express orange chicken um and i've i've the last couple times I've been in a Panda Express, I always ask the guy behind the counter, I'm like, let's say you get 10 customers. How many of them get the orange chicken? He's always like, nine. Like, that's all anybody ever gets at Panda Express. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, they also, fun fact, they invented orange chicken. Oh, shit. Panda Express. Yeah, nice. like the, the modern incarnation of orange chicken is an invention of Panda Express. So. Damn, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. That's why yeah, it's I w- good, man. They're yeah, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have thought that either, you know, that they just thought this thing up, but... Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm almost kind of disappointed when I go to a real Chinese food restaurant; they don't have it. But of course, that's like that's like <laughs> you know a normal cheeseburger restaurant not having Big Macs. So I, 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 you know, I think it's maybe a little silly, but I, you know, I do crave it. 
Um, and what what are you drinking, Neil? Uh, a very like under, um, syruped cherry coke. Ooh. Is there anything worse than like going going to the drive thru and then getting a soda that's just like, yeah, you guys need to change out the syrup. It's horrible. Yeah, that's. I hate it. It's so yeah, it's, it's it's that's pretty bad. That you know, Gideon, the Muscatine restaurant that that makes me think of is the Muscatine Arby's. What is up with the pop machine at the Muscatine Arby's? That thing hasn't worked since 2003. Yeah, I don't know what's going on yeah, yeah. over there in general. Most days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gideon, do you like Arby's? I, I do like Arby's. Um, I remember, though, having a very bad experience with the roast beef at that Arby's. And we mm-hmm. didn't go back for like two years. It was yeah. like, like Arby's bad. in general. It yeah. No. But I do like Arby's. When it's good. You, have you heard the urban legend that the roast beef at Arby's comes as a liquid? Like it's shipped in as a liquid <laughs> and then it like solidifies into the roast beef? No, I did not I, heard that. I don't think that that's actually true, but there's something compelling about that to me where it seems it has like almost a blob weird. or something. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, <laughs> it's like oobleck, right? It's like a liquid, but it kind of like congeals into a, into a solid. Into a okay. yeah, what the hell are we doing here? Oh, we're talking about movies. That's right. Okay, well, this week we're going to be talking about um, Seven Samurai, the 1954 uh, Akira Kurosawa film. Uh, Neil, how do I pronounce the name of the lead actor in this movie? Toshiro Mifune. Mif- Mifune. Um, well, I guess I just kind of buried the lead there. He is the lead. A- uh, I- would you would you call him the lead actor, Neil? Yes and no. Like he. I, he... He definitely kind of steals the show. Yeah. And I like when we get into discussion, I think his role is very important. Who does he play? Okay. The young guy? No, uh, he's um, the crazy guy. The, the, yeah, the crazy guy wow. who yep. pretends to be a samurai but isn't. Yeah, he's got the giant. It's not a katana. I mean, we we want to call it a katana, but it's like whatever the the giant variant of the the katana is. I believe it's um, called a nodachi. A nodachi. Okay. Well, today I learned. Okay. Suppose a wakazashi. You guys know what that's for? That's the short sword. Yeah, that's the disembowel yourself if just in case you dishonor your your family. Um, kind of sword, which we can get into a little later if you guys want to. Anyway, uh, we all watched Seven Samurai, a three and a half hour black and white, um, well, samurai movie, as you might have guessed it. Um, generally regarded as one of the greatest and most influential movies of all time. Certainly on any sort of academic compilation of greatest movies, always ends up in the top ten. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard of this movie and, and how many times it has influenced direct remakes um like magnificent seven and and things like that um so neil is the one who suggested this movie and i remember when we talked about it at the very beginning of the podcast he mentioned it among his favorites and he said seven samurai is in many ways the first movie like it's the first block action blockbuster movie so i want to get into that with you more now neil so now that kind of we've all seen it um, so tell me about your, your history with this and kind of w- when you originally saw it and what originally got you interested and, and what turned this into, you know, one of your top fives. So, um, 
for a bit of context, my dad's father uh, was an army surgeon during the Korean War. Uh, and because he was a specialist rather than being in a mass unit, uh, he was stationed in Tokyo General. Uh, and at a certain point, he uh, managed to get my grandmother to fly out on an army cargo transport to join him in Tokyo. So my dad and uh, my dad's the oldest. And then his two uh, next brothers were all born in Japan during the Korean War. Uh, so, you know, like my grandfather brought back some art and, you know, we've just always had sort of like a little connection that way to Japan. And so uh, growing up, I we had a VHS copy of Seven Samurai on our shelf. Um, and it was very distinctive because this is a long movie. So it was actually a two cassette set. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really know what was going on. But um, when I was probably like 10 or so, uh, I had some friends over and my parents weren't home. And uh, on the on the VHS uh, sleeve, um, there was no rating. It was it wasn't mm. PG. It wasn't PG thirteen. It wasn't R. I was like, oh, this is an X rated movie. It must be. <laughs> uh, so you know, my friends and I all sat down to watch. Like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna see something here, man. Even if it is black and white. Uh, clearly, did not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> out the way that I thought it was going to, but uh, yeah, this is probably the movie that turned me into a weeb. Yeah, well, I was I, I was actually going to say that. So, uh, you know, your grandfather uh, going to Japan, and then uh, your uh, your your dad and his brothers being born there. That I think that makes you like an honorary weeb in in some way, where it's like <laughs> you you kind of have some credit. Just like Gideon is like an honorary. Uh, mafioso right like you were born yeah. in sicily right yeah i was born in italy yeah, yeah. yeah. sicily italy <laughs> yeah. maybe my dad and his brothers are i i don't think i get that street cred mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of like me being born a muscatine i'm like an honorary juggalo even though i have never listened to any of them any of the music <laughs> oh so. Sam, Sam, you, you have told me stories about a insane clown posse song about like having like an eighth grade teacher's head in your locker yeah, yeah. I, that sounds don't, about right. Don't, don't try to lie to us and say that you're not down. <laughs> uh, okay, so <laughs> this is this is the tangent of all tangents, I suppose. But I just aesthetically think the whole thing about like having a bunch of different albums that tell one continuous story and that it's like all part of this master plan. I think that's really cool, even if the music itself is not that cool. <laughs> that's just something about the whole like. Uh, Oh man, it's the Joker cards, and it's leading up to this big, epic, you know, story. Even if it's total nonsense, there's almost like a progressive rock sensibility to that that I really like. Anyway, and, back and to really, Seven Samurai. Really... No, go, go ahead. Did we lose Neil? You still there? Oh, I was just sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, like, aren't aren't Juggalos the modern samurai? <laughs> to some <You> know, people <laughs> yeah. Yeah. they they do have well i don't know if the samurai ever had like a gathering but they 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 do have that you know still it's something you know, I, before we pass the age where it's 
cool. We gotta go to the gathering of the jugglers. Anyway, um, so okay, so you you sat down to watch this movie with your friends, thinking that it was gonna be a a blurry 1954 X-rated VHS, and you had your mind blown by the samurai movie. Is is that basically? Yeah, basically, you know, when it turned out it wasn't what we thought it was, my friends all left, and I just sat there to... I was like, oh yeah, you you guys go. You guys go play football in the yard. I'm going to watch this three-hour movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, I I was just hooked. Yeah. So what what do you think initially hooked you about this movie? Because I, I would say that my reaction as a first-time watcher of this movie is that this is somewhat a symptom of the movie. Movies in the 50s and 60s just generally being longer and slower. Mm-hmm. But the thing I would say that stands out to me, one of the things that stands out to me about this movie is that the plot is incredibly simple not, I don't mean that in a good way or a bad way, but the plot is incredibly simple for a movie that is three and a half hours long. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I think it definitely has sort of elements of just, like, being from the time that it is, where, like, I mean, it, it has a built-in intermission. And I think this just, just sort of comes from a time when, uh, you know, you went to the movies and you could... Uh, you know, you you were expecting to either like see two or three movies for your one ticket, or watch one really long thing. Like you, you you made a night of it, kind of thing. Right. You're going to the movies, not a movie. But uh, yeah, like I mean, for 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 me, uh, you know, there was just like like you said, it, it's a very simple story at its root. Um, but. You know, I hadn't really been exposed to like Japanese culture history up to that point. So just like, you know, you know, this this being the fledgling weeb, like, what are they wearing? Why do they why do they not have like, why why do their swords look that way? Why aren't they wearing uh, armor like knights? Like, what's going on here? I don't I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose it would all feel pretty um pretty foreign. Alex Princeton, go ahead. Yeah, um, I had a question and. <clears throat> Just to see if I'm interpreting you right, Sam. Um, I, this was the first time watch for me. I, I agree, it's a long movie, and there are elements that are like slow or slower feeling, and we can talk about that. But like at no point for me did this film feel like it dragged. And certainly in our tenure here, we've watched much shorter films that felt like much more of a drag than this. I'm I'm curious though if you felt like it dragged at points. Um, I don't think dragged is really the right way to put it because there, there's no it's not like there's a lot of fat on the movie it's just a big movie right there there was no scene where i was like eh, you know i could really do without this it was just like they established at the beginning they're like we're gonna get pillaged by bandits and we need to go get some samurai they get the samurai they set up for the invasion forever and then we get a bunch of fight scenes and then it's over there really wasn't a tw- I, I was expecting there to be I don't want to say a twist. I don't mean like an uh, like an M Night Shyamalan yeah. thing. I was expecting something more to happen, but it was something really like nope. Surprising, some kind uh, of surprise. Yeah, and it that really never happens. I mean, there there are characters that that die, and I, and I definitely want to get into that. Um, and there are there are great characters, and and definitely the um the thing that I think is the strongest about this movie in particular is 
um, Toshiro Mifune's performance as um, Kiki. What is it? Kiki, Kiki Ochi. Yeah. Okay. Um, that that is one of the like one of the best on-screen performances I've ever seen in my life, in in my opinion. Um, and a great example. We're going to bring this back to Nick Cage. A, a great example of the pre-Marlon Brando school of acting, because like when I watch him in this movie, I'm thinking of like Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and the great pre-Brando actors. Like with his physicality, he's so funny. And like when I'm watching him, I'm not like, oh, what a great dramatic actor. I'm like, this guy is super fun to watch. You know, like that. That's the stuff that really stood out to me. The, uh, the his performance is what stood out to me the most. Go go ahead. Um, it, it's just worth noting that he and uh, Akira Kurosawa, the director, had a long history yep. of working together. Like he's not in every Kurosawa movie, but like I I, I want to say like upwards of like seventy five percent. Like he he's mm-hmm. just a constant either as a lead or a strong support. Yeah, and and we'll we'll hit that with other directors over time, like Jimmy Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock is another great example. Um, I'm trying to think of others off the top of my head, but Mel Brooks and uh, Gene Wilder and and, and things like that. Um, so before we get too much further into it, let's get uh, Gideon. You've seen this movie before, yep? Yeah. So um, this is actually a second time watch for me. The first time watch was right about a year ago maybe a year a month ago um and the first time i watched it i i had a friend over and he was visiting while i lived out in colorado and it was like at the end of our uh, time hanging out together and so we were trying to like fit in this movie and i felt like i was so like preoccupied with like trying to do as many things as we could before like he had to go back that it was like hard for me to just like enjoy the movie. And I felt similarly to like how you were saying, Sam, like it it almost felt strange to me. Like, okay, like this is a, you know, a really big, huge, epic, like runtime movie about what is basically just like a small little village and this small story that happened. So I didn't like fully get it. And I thought it was cool, but I was like, I, I, I didn't fully wrap my head around it, but on this rewatch, I feel like it clicked so much more and I was able to just like really soak it in and appreciate it and, and see why it's so like lauded and everything. And um, I, yeah, I just really dug it. And um, I think it'll be a really interesting movie to revisit over the years. And I'm just kind of mm-hmm. excited to even have seen it, I guess, and be able to talk about it. It, it feels uh last thing i'll say but yeah. it feels uh it feels like you know it's that that movie you've always heard about or like if you're wanting to get more into movies and films like you gotta watch this one um and even recently i've been watching like lots of older classic black and white stuff um and so it was kind of nice almost like getting more experience with this older style leading into my rewatch of seven samurai i think that helped uh, Alex Princeton, give me your history with this. You watched this with Neil, right? Yeah, that's all I, I had is history. I mean, I knew going in, it was epic runtime. I knew some of the things I think we'll get into that this is like a huge influence on the Western and 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 maybe like thereby lots of other um, lots of other Western modern media phenomena. Um, 
no history other than that. Yeah. I'll, I'll say up front, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think some elements of the slowness and pacing really resonate with me. My favorite thing about old movies is how the shots are like very long and not so jumpy and, and you really get to like absorb someone. The actors are expressive with their faces and their bodies. Yeah. Um, I find it like so relaxing and kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, so yeah, loved it. it. It is certainly a movie of a completely different era technologically. So therefore movie making techniques were not as established and actors were uh, doing a completely different thing. Like we talked about with um, kind of like the pre post Brando um, era acting and um, yeah, it was just really interesting to watch on a technical level. Uh, something that definitely stood out to me again, like we never ended up doing a podcast about the grand illusion. Um, but something I remember thinking to myself when we watched it was that it was extremely archaic in terms of like there are filmmaking techniques and directorial techniques you do with the camera. Like if we have a still frame on somebody and then it fades to black and then it fades up from black, we kind of all understand that time has passed, right? It's just like a universal way that like visually film communicates ideas. The Grand Illusion was jumping all over the place with its like timeline and it was just jump cutting and there was no like really clear explanation as to what was going on. Seven Samurai is so much better than that. The, the, I don't want to say, you know, necessarily it's a better movie. It, 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 I mean, they're 30 years apart and they're completely different genres and made across the world from each other, but it was much more advanced in its directing. Um, and like visual language. Yeah. And in terms of it's like visual language, although I will say in some ways, like, this movie is like, okay, so it's 1954. This movie is at least 15 years after The Wizard of Oz, right? And The Wizard, of, and I, I know they're so different, and I know that Japan, especially just only less than 10 years after getting the absolute shit bombed out of them um, by us, was was in no place to be buying like expensive camera equipment and have Technicolor in their movies and all these special effects and everything. But... Uh, again, I think this movie really underscores something I felt with The Grand Illusion, which was that the United States was just so far ahead technologically of everybody else that was making movies in the earlier part of the 20th century. I mean, that that is really like one of the main standouts. I'm not not saying that it makes it a, a better movie or a worse movie or anything like that. I'm just saying in a purely production value sense, it's amazing to look at this and then you look at something like The Wizard of Oz, which was made so much earlier. I don't know if anybody else had feelings about that. I'm actually really curious about, like, and I haven't looked into this, but the budgeting, et cetera, for this film, because there are some pretty compelling practical effects. Uh, I mean, the two things that come to mind are the horse, like the horse budget for this movie had to be substantial. And then, uh, and then, uh, um, well, the choreography of the battle scenes where they're, they really do look like they're fighting. And then, Neil, you told me some things about the rain in the final battle that you may care to share, but mm-hmm. obvi- the, the rain is is beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even the, the burning buildings, too. Oh, yeah, the burning the buildings. Piano. I mean, they, they had to build this set and then just destroy it. Yeah. Yeah. Not crazy. So it, I... isn't like it, it isn't like it looks cheap, you know? It isn't like, you know, like... And right. I, I don't think that's what you're saying. 
I know. I'm not excellent work with whatever tools they had available. Right. I'm just saying that one country had been doing this for like 30 years and making a had an entire industry wrapped around it, and basically everybody else in the world was doing comparatively very low budget, very product low production value stuff. Not to say the Severed Samurai looks cheap, because I agree the 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 building is burning down, and like you said, the horse budget and um, I believe at the time it was made, it was the most expensive Japanese movie ever produced up to that point. Toho actually pulled funding and was like going to cancel it like three different times. Holy and, shit. And Akira Kurosawa just would like, what I read is that he would just go, fi- he'd go on a fishing trip and then like come back from his fishing trip. And then they had settled down about it and they gave him, they ended up like giving oh. him the money because he knew that they had already spent too much money and they weren't going to like, just throw it all away just to tell him to go fuck himself. Um, So he was like such a experienced director and filmmaker at that point that he knew that they weren't going to pull the funding for this movie. And then obviously ended up being a um, huge success. Gideon also pointed this out to me earlier today. 1954 is also the premiere year of Godzilla. So Toho had a good year this year. Banger year. Let me, let me me just share the number. That's an interesting point. Huge box office breaker, uh, or not breaker, budget breaker, six hundred thousand dollars. That's like a yeah. modern American mortgage. I, I I I plugged in the number with uh, inflation, and it's a little less than six and a half million. Yeah, that's not crazy at all, is it? No, that's like a Woody Allen movie. I mean, that's yeah. that's like a pretty small budget. But Honestly, but again. You know, they didn't have to pay a team of visual effects artists. I mean, they just or a cast know. of American actors, right? <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, I mean, man. no. That I mean, that's a great point. I mean, like, uh, Mifune probably got paid a lot comparatively for this movie, but everybody else in this movie probably made, you know, Dick Squidly, um, you know, and it wasn't wasn't paid hardly anything. By the way, I looked it up. There was like one actor in this movie that's still alive today. Damn. I thought for sure there was going to be just like a few because typically speaking, Japanese people live to be like 120, but no, there was just like one, one guy. And it was like a guy that's like in the background of sunshot and he's like 98. He's like the only guy still living or something like that. Um, uh, so, so where, where else do we want to, I feel like we haven't talked about the actual movie, uh, movie at all. Um, Neil, do you maybe want to kind of crack it and say like, some things about the plot or um i mean there's not just there's not that much to say about the synopsis right because it's it can be explained in like two sentences but um kind of your favorite bits and your favorite bits of the actual storytelling um okay so yeah so basic premise is a small village is uh sort of cyclically uh raided by a group of bandits like it seems like this has been something that's been going on for a while. Um, and basically, like, the bandits come in, take all the peasants' rice, and then leave them just enough to survive on and plant a new crop. Um, and we also later find out that the bandits also, like, abduct the pretty women from the, from the village. Um, and the peasants are finally at this point where, like, the village is just going to die of starvation because it's just being raided so periodically that they uh, come to the conclusion that they need to hire samurai to defend them. 
but of course the problem is that uh they don't have anything of value so it's literally come and fight for us and we will feed you um it's set in the late 1500s uh during the japanese warring states period where a bunch of like rival warlords were battling it out amongst themselves for supremacy um and eventually the uh, tokugawa clan would win out and unify japan uh up until the 1800s um so this is just this is sort of like the point where japan becomes a unified country but uh at this point like there's no central government there's no like police that the villagers can go to there's no defense except what they can put together um but i i so two really strong like we we talked about like fundamentals of movies that uh seven samurai is widely considered to be like the forerunner of is number one like bringing together the team like you have mm-hmm. to you have to bring in the team of people to take on whatever the challenge is you know like, you know so you've got the guy who can climb the guy who can you know the the sniper the the guy who can pick locks like everybody's got a distinct skill or like personality trait um and like uh just and, and so part part of the reason this movie runs so long is that uh they spend you know like a 10 to 15 minute vignette on each of the characters before they ever get to the village because they're introducing these guys as the team is assembled um and we we also get a lot of like you know th- these archetypes exist in like a novel and written form before this but you, you've got like the older guy who's kind of a jack of all trades and he's the leader and he takes on like a an apprentice who's younger and not as skilled and is like learning from him um but i think one of my favorite scenes uh in the movie is when they introduce uh shimada who is the leader and to a certain extent like to a certain extent like i think it helps to to be japanese so you would recognize these like cultural markers more readily than you know it's just like we we have our perceptions in the west of like things that they just come naturally to us and my first time i was very confused as to what was happening when i was 10 but uh there's a child who's being held hostage by a thief inside of a barn um and the samurai uh shaves his head which is like a to a samurai would be like not it would be like a grave dishonor to like cut off your signifying hairdo but he and but he uh borrows like a monk's vestments and then uh approaches the bandit offering him and the child food and then uses that as a guise to get close and kill the thief and you know again like i think like a dumber movie you'd have some no-name character whispering to another he's you know he's he's dressing up as a monk and he's going to 
use it to fool the thief. It, there, there's like no t- dialogue in this in the sequence. Like the the movie trusts you to understand what he's doing, or at least understand it when it comes about. But um, what so what we we finally get to the point where he uh, fights the thief, and you don't even like see the combat. You see the thief like burst out, mortally wounded, but. Uh, that is the first time that slow motion was used in the film for dramatic effect. Wow. You know, what I read about it, Neil, is that that's also the origin of the storytelling technique of like, we're going to establish that this guy is the good guy by having him do something good that is unrelated to the primary plot of the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think so. I just remember watching like the original King Kong, yep. again another black and white movie, and uh, rather than like showing who the various characters are through these like little vignettes, it, it's all like given an exposition. Like, oh, that's Captain Jameson, and he, uh, you know, he he served as a destroyer captain in World War One, but now he's uh, the now now he's our freighter captain, like. Instead here, like, before you even know the guy's name, you've established that he's, like, unconventional, he's clever, but he's also, you know, tough enough to at least take on a thief. And he he doesn't seem to take payment for his work, so, like, you see that he's got, like, an altruistic streak. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, that's that's something I want to get to uh, for sure, and I want to throw to the other guys on. Um one of the things that I wrote when I was like writing down all my thoughts about this movie is that they do a really good job of introducing and setting up like all the different samurai. But I will say there was like, I I could describe like five of them for you. There's two of them that I, that, that like, if you asked me to give them a particular character trait or describe like what their role was, I was like a little lost and maybe I, maybe I missed something. I mean, one of them is like the guy who dies first. Like that's his character. <laughs> He's like the original red shirt guy. Uh, yeah. So it would. I mean, what do you guys? What do you guys think about that? Did you have a similar reaction? I mean, before we move on from first, Neil, you kind of covered this, but this has to be one of the first like getting the gang together yeah. uh, sequences so. of all time, right? Yeah. Like again, like the idea of like bringing the team together mm-hmm. is not how most movies worked in the past. Yeah, and probably made it over to the Western is like getting your posse together. And then yeah. now the modern bank heisters, superhero bullshit film. Yeah. Ocean's 11 uh, is seven samurai and <laughs> Magnet <laughs> bugs life. Is seven samurai. And... Yeah, so, so like, uh, Kurosawa has this like weird translation over into spaghetti Westerns. So yeah. the magnificent seven is like a direct rip off of this. Um, and then he made, a movie called Yojimbo, which also stars Toshiro Mifune. Um, and it had a sequel that I'm forgetting the name of. But those are directly ripped off by Sergio Leone for uh, a fistful of dollars and a few dollars more. So to, to get back to what Sam was saying, though, maybe uh, Sam, Gideon, and me could have an exercise where we try to name all seven samurai, and Neil, you can fill in the ones that we missed. So I can't name them. I'll, I'll no, accept, but like, we can say their character archetypes. So we've got yeah. leader, young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the swords master, the guy mm-hmm. 
who and, and maybe my favorite or the coolest of all of them who's like Badass. no no really you don't want to fight me no you really don't want to fight me and then okay um and then we have the guy who's splitting wood i don't really I I hot characterize his row. And, and then, then the funny guy funny guy the guy who isn't really a samurai right is that funny guy, or are you talking about? No, the else? other funny guy who would be like good in hard times. Okay, right? so he's kind. Of, yes. Okay. The 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 um command. The yeah. I, I don't know. He's got high charisma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's one I can't put put a name on. Yeah. Uh, is it the bow guy? Or is. Wasn't he the one who would be high spirit and good time? That's that's the one I'm getting confused. I, I yeah. think his name is Garobi or something like that. Mm, yeah. He's Kill the one, one that I. One. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. I that was the one that I had a hard time pinning oh. down because it's like yeah, young guy, leader, Mifune, uh, Haihachi, the woodcutter, the swordmaster, and then it's like those last two that yeah. I'm like, eh, I, I'm, I don't remember those guys. The woodcutter was the one who was going to raise the flag. He was the one who was good for hard times. I think that's yes. all there was to him. Yeah. So we're, we're totally missing a guy. Yeah. So the, the two that I, I agree, Sam, I think that these two guys are kind of uh, forgettable and kind of fade into the background. Mm-hmm. So we have the leader, uh, Shimada. We have Toshiro Mifune. Um, you've got the young apprentice. You've got Heihachi, who's the woodcutter and jokester and you have kyozo the swordmaster. so those I, I think those are the five that are like easily distinguishable and then you've got like you said gurobe who's the uh archer and kind of takes on like a second in command role yeah i like okay. him i don't think he's too forgettable yeah but Agreed. i but i get him and uh shichijiro uh who's uh it's just, like old friend and yeah he's also yeah. one of the three who survived till the end mm-hmm. but right i was surprised that that guy survived i was like i mean maybe that's the point right is that like i the the ones that they killed were all the memorable a lot of the memorable ones like i i think it's confusing because like you've got the old friend who you would sort of think of as being like he should be second in command, but then you've got another guy who winds up being second in command. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, not, I, I, I don't want to speak too badly of it, but those two are kind of mergeable. And again, I think maybe this is a thing where if we were Japanese and living in the fifties and watching this movie, maybe there were some cultural things that would have made them a little bit more distinct. And it's possible that like, there are some things that are lost in translation here, but um, the, uh, I mean, it, it's hard to say this movie has many faults, but that was definitely one of the things that I got done with. And I was like, okay, if I was really nitpicking for problems here, I would say there's like one or two samurai that are kind of like lesser characters than, but you know, having a full cast of seven that, that are all really interesting. Um, that would be, that would be a pretty tall order. Um, Gideon, I haven't heard from you in a while. Yeah, um, I mean, I I definitely share what you said with um, kind of getting lost on some of the final samurai and kind of who's who. Um, And that just could be my, you know, relative inexperience with the film and just how long it is and stuff. Um, 
I, I was just thinking about how I think it, with the runtime being so massive and, you know, three and a half hours long, you basically have to really commit to it. Um, it's, it's just so cool how it's able to tell this very, like, s- small little story about this small village that has this big problem. And you really get to, like, live in the world and, like, live with the characters and, and see the village through so many different ways. Um, like in these inside shots, you know, when it's raining and you can see their uh, breath because it's so cold, like near the final battle um, and seeing them like train up the villagers. Um, it's just really cool how it just takes its time and and lets it just live and breathe. And I felt like this movie felt so alive, even for how old it is. And uh, it was just really cool seeing it just unfold and getting to spend so much time with the characters. It felt very earned, even though it's probably one of the longest movies I've ever seen. I want to get your guys' take on this. So I was, I don't know why I expected this, but there was a couple sword battle scenes where I was expecting, like the the first one between the sword master and the guy who he's like, really, you don't want to fight me? I was expecting this movie to be the origin of the, like the, and then like the, like the spray of blood. And uh, not that I was not disappointed that that's not a, not what it was, but I was very surprised how brutal and un uh, elegant the combat is in this movie. Where a lot, I mean, they're not a lot of the times when they kill somebody with a sword, it's not like a clean clean strike. It's like they're just poking you to death three feet away, and they they get like four or five guys on top of you at once, and then they just and that's kind of it. So I will say. No spray of blood, but there are a few like single cut deaths. Mm. In particular, I think the one we don't see the cut, but where he kills the criminal in the beginning, dressed up as a monk. And then um, remind me the name of the character, Neil, but the sword master when he kills that guy who challenges him. There's only Yozo. one. Yozo, there's only one strike there. There's just mm-hmm. no spray of blood. In right. Fact, I mean, I mean, the whole movie is very blood light as I think about it, right? Right. And I think that's relatively realistic. I mean, it isn't like people spray blood when they die. Right. I was just expecting it to be more like, you know, cut to Samurai 1, cut to Samurai 2, and it just goes down to their eyes, right? And then you get the kind of, like, and we we didn't really get that. We don't see any Samurai on Samurai combat either. One thing I wonder, this is just a question I don't know that we are qualified to answer, but was this movie perceived as very violent at the time? The way, you know, our parents were scared of ultraviolence and rated our movies when we were kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a super good question. I mean, along the, along the lines of the violence, another thing that I think is, like, really interesting and I think is, like, very well directed and a great idea is, like, when they introduce the fact that there's three enemies with muskets, it's like, oh, shit, these guys yeah. have fucking muskets. They're rolling up, and this is... This is bad news, which you know, which is hilarious because they take like, you know, two and a half minutes to reload these things, and these guys are still like, we we better take out the musket guys first, or this is all over. Uh, I did want to also mention one thing I really liked, and I like in almost anything that I see it, but all the really cool, uh, just visual storytelling and no dialogue stuff, like. You know, it it could be so easy to get lost in something uh, that's this long of a movie. 
but the way it's he's able to you know he's crossing out how many bandits they've killed and even like the banner how it represents them in the village it's like very well done and it's it's kind of crazy how focused it all seems even especially at the end battle it's like you know you're basically hearing about this battle that's going to happen the whole movie and then you get like a 40 minute like epic fight for the whole village and you know it it didn't feel like oh that was kind of rushed or whatever it's like no like they were fighting for a while and dealing with it i think the rain does so much to dial up the intensity of that last battle and make it satisfying and then they saved Especially a few practical. people they saved a few people to kill too at the end which also was the characters to kill off which also added to the weight of that scene mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think Mifune was going to die at all, and then then he did, and I was supremely disappointed. Yeah, I was sad when he died. What do you guys? What are the standout? If you had to pick a standout scene in this movie, what would you guys? Would you guys say? Well, I already said. Oh, go Go ahead, ahead, Alex. Maybe Um, Neil, you should go last. Okay. For your, uh, I think it's not a single scene. But I was just impressed with how much time they spent gathering the samurai. I think maybe my standout scene is some of the stuff with the farmers who we've barely talked about, but um, where they really spend a lot of time driving at home how poor these like farmers are. They get made fun of in their little like hostel, um, and they can't do anything. You know, they're like begging for mercy. I thought that was kind of compelling. I would say the thing that stands out to me the most are all the scenes where Toshiro Mifune is interacting with the village children. That stuff is so funny and, and he's so great and so believable and, and such a over the top charismatic presence in this movie. Like all, all that stuff with him is just so strong. Um, and he, I mean, even his dramatic um, kind of, monologue in the middle where he admits to being raised by farmers and and all that but yeah like all the scenes the comedic scenes with him i think were my favorite stuff i think uh for me i really liked how like relatable the plight of the farmers was like when you see that shot and they're trying to pick up the rice that like was spilled it's like everybody gets hungry so you can totally relate to just like they're starving and they're they like literally don't even have money like they can only bargain with the the crops they grow um and just seeing that shot of like it's like here you go you can count how many rice little pieces they can pick up you know and that's all that's all they have on on that you know couple frames that you see it um and i really liked also, just the um, when they go to the like bandit camp by like the waterfall or wherever they are, and you find out like the was it the farmer's wife was taken by them, right? The and then she thing to a twist in this movie because they hint at it very heavily, mm-hmm. and I think by the time we got there, I'm guessing most of us had figured out what was going on. But well, doesn't she also run back in to like kill herself, basically? Cause she's so yeah. ashamed or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure why, but but yeah, I mean, I I thought that was cool, and yeah, same thing with the the rain really adding to the emotionality and intensity of everything, and uh, it was just crazy. I mean, just seeing those horses like run through at that speed, 
in that much like mud and everything. I was like, this movie looks like people could have died trying to do this shit. Like, yeah, so it was, it was crazy to see. You know, it is a very old movie thing that I, I don't know what year this went out of vogue, but I feel like, and it, this could be Japanese movies, this could be American movies, pre-1950, the hysterical screaming woman in movies was like a very common thing where somebody is just like oh, oh, for like five minutes at a time and they're like being dragged away and then like thrown into a burning barn or whatever i just i just feel like at a certain point that became like totally not in vogue and i there isn't a movie past like 1960 that has that in it and i feel like every movie that i've seen before 1960 has like the hysterical screaming woman in it Neil, what was your uh, favorite scene? Well, I kind of mentioned it with one of my favorites with the uh, opening with the thief, but uh, two more that stick out to me are uh, so so one like despite the serious content of this movie, I like that there are moments of levity. Um, a lot of it is carried by Toshiro Mifune's character, but uh, one that sticks out is um, when the young samurai like sort of jerks his duties and goes off into the mountains and he comes across the peasant girl who's dressed as a boy. He like admonishes her like, what are you doing? Now is not the time to be picking flowers. And he's waving like a, a flower stem at her. Cause he was just doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another really great one is the sequence where, um, uh, Shimada tells the young man to like stand by the door frame with a stick over his head and attack the next samurai who comes mm-hmm. in. And you get the first guy who's like seems to be a very good fighter, <laughs> and you know he you know just trounces the kid like catches his blow, flips him around, and has to be mollified. But then he's like, "No, I'm not going to just fight for rice." Um, and that's sort of contrasted with, uh, I believe it's Gorobe, who like doesn't even enter. Like he's already wise to the yeah. He just laughs. Like yeah, you you must be joking, and then. You know, comedy comes in threes, and then you get uh, Toshiro Mifune's character, and he just takes the stick across the head. Yeah. yeah. I, f- I feel like th- this is also from an era where, like, actors had zero rights, and so directors could just do whatever the hell they wanted to them, and there was, like, nothing they could do about it. And they were, generally speaking, good sports about it, too, where you could just abuse the hell out of your actors and throw them off horses and shit. And they were getting paid nothing. And they were just like happy to be there, you know. I I admire that. Um, I oh go oh, ahead go ahead Gideon. Uh, I also liked how like I think the master and maybe one other samurai, but they like stood up for the the girl that was being abused by her her asshole dad who cut her hair, um, and her guy friend or whatever samurai. Then he didn't even show up, right? Like. When all that was going down in the village, so. So Neil uh, explained that to me because I found it very surprising too. But you said there was something cultural about how he stood aside while that was happening. I mean, like I, I think this is something that's a little more, uh, you know, it's just sort of a thing that's happened in a lot of cultures, Western and Eastern. But basically, um, you know, his, his daughter is his property, um, so. You know, you know the. He would hope to, you know, marry her to 
another like influential villager something and instead uh, mm -hmm. she's like I, I think he calls her damaged goods because she's no longer a virgin yeah but yeah. then why would her lover not defend her yeah or, or you know because like in like in a strictly legal sense he's in the wrong like he shouldn't have done that like it's as if he's stolen something or something yeah. to that effect yeah we're not not of course that's of the time we're not Right, but yeah. it, even with that, I, it was still interesting. Didn't like another villager, like yell yeah. at the dad and be like, "What about like marrying for love or something like that?" Uh, I think it was more just like, um, "We're all about to die." <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we got bigger fish to fry, kind of thing. Yeah, like uh, I think I think the I think the farmer's name is Monzo. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like he he's like so concerned with like you know keeping his daughter quote-unquote safe that he's like neglecting the village at times right like uh what's the old man say like your head is on the chopping block and all you care about is your whiskers yeah like, by yeah. the way here's my favorite scene in the movie is like the next day when they're all at the gate together and and he says we're expecting a lot from this young man now since he <laughs> since he's not a virgin anymore oh yeah that was so funny <laughs> it's fucking great isn't it isn't it funny how like humor among men crosses it, yeah. it's it crosses not only like cultural boundaries but also a period of like <laughs> ninety years <laughs> or four hundred four hundred years Before, yeah 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 exactly yeah. it's just that's one of those things that it's just like yeah it's so it's so beautiful to see comedy come together like that across you know. Just huge having a periods time of time like that too yeah, yeah. Your delivery yeah. Is, the delivery is much better than i did it it, it, it really holds up it, 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 it does absolutely hold up yeah yeah Th there's a um there's a like going out and getting into a fight with your bros energy to this movie like there, there's just such a, like a strong bro ship between the seven samurai and like the people in the village and, and, and things like that yeah. that's uh, yeah. kind of like timeless and admirable um, so, I mean, I guess that, that that brings up something I wanted to touch on is like the 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 mercenary element of this movie, um, where you know we we spend three hours with all these characters, um, and like you know we see we see them celebrating together, we see them like getting to know one another as like the villagers reveal that they have captured equipment from like defeated samurai that they hunted down and killed. Um, we find out later that, you know, they are hoarding like uh, sake and mm -hmm. uh, like delicacy food, you know, stored away for special events. And you know, they're not as poor as they presented themselves to be. But uh, you know, at the very end, you know, like the, you know, they bring the samurai, into their village and the samurai like start to integrate a little bit. But once the bandits are defeated, you know, Rikichi takes his house back from the samurai. Uh, they get back to farming and the samurai are sort of back to square one. Like they're not really part of the community and never really were. Uh, despite most of them dying for the community. Damn. Neil, is there anything you don't like about this movie? Uh, ooh. It ends. <laughs> uh, 
No, I I think like I I think there there's frustration sometimes, particularly with the young character, where like you know Alex brought up like, dude, stand up for your lover, uh, and the fact that the two separate at the end, like, dude, come on, like you you just helped kill forty bins, like take your girl with you. We want resolved but i think it's mature of the film to not give us everything we yeah have. no like yeah. i I, th- I think it's also like a believable yeah uh, choice within the story it hurts and life hurts you know and that's a lesson he's learning i had an unresolved question for neil before we close out but i but if you have other thoughts on what you don't like neil or what you might not like no i i really can't think of anything i would change Okay, here's my question for you. The whole film is premised on the farmers being extremely poor. Uh, and they allude to this throughout the film. Uh, I, I don't know any of the names, I'm sorry. Crazy Samurai, bad fake Samurai. So something about this, as we explore his roots as a farmer, he's like, oh no, they actually have a lot stashed away. And we find out on the eve of the final battle that it's true. They have extra rice, they have beans, they have, um, they have sake. They share it with the samurai finally. Um, and they have all this armor lying around. So is it really true that they have no money or resources? And, and was that trying to tell us something about the dishonesty of the farmer? Or yeah, is it like, what is that supposed to be? I, I think that that is like, I think that's sort of the twist that you guys were waiting for is that it's not as one dimensional as the initial story presents itself. I mean, like you just sort of consider that like, you know, Kyozo goes out and he kills one of the musket bandits and uh, Kikicho does something similar. But, like, at the end of the day, like, it wasn't like a straight-up battle between the seven samurai and 40 bandits. You know, they formed the farmers up into spearmen squads and the, the, the farmers get a good number of the kills. You know, like, at the end of the day, could the farmers have fought off these bandits by themselves? Like, I think so. Casualties probably would have been a lot higher, but I think they could have uh, made made a made a good show of it, you know. Um, and so yeah, I I think that it's just like an element of, you know, that the, there is more going on than the initial story presents itself as. What you were getting at with the mercenary nature of the film, that in some ways the farmers are really using the samurai, and they use them up, like yeah, you know, at their expense. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's maybe that is supposed to say something about like the role of the samurai in his in the history of Japan or something like that, or or how Akira Kurosawa feels about the nature. But of co- but of course, like not only am am I not an expert, I don't have the colloquial knowledge of you know being Japanese to to really understand that stuff in a deep way. But you know, I definitely would be interested to read more about that and interpretations of this movie. One thing, one, once I finish any of the movies, we do for the podcast i thought about it for a little bit sometimes i head out to wikipedia and i'm like okay so why is this an important movie or whatever like what are the themes like what do critics believe the themes of this movie to be and i was surprised to like not really find a lot of that stuff regarding seven samurai most of the academic discussion on this movie is about like filmmaking techniques and like the technical aspect and multi-camera and the the storytelling techniques that we kind of established earlier so i I was I'm sure there are those deeper themes, but uh, I, I'd have to dig a little bit deeper if I was going to find any of that stuff out. 
Um, so let's go around and give a score real quick. We're coming up on the hour. Let's give a score real quick. Uh, this is the first movie of our season two, and I think we're I think we're gonna go ahead and move to a five star system to appease um, the website letterbox.com so we can um, we can track our rankings that way easier. So I would personally go ahead and give this a four. Not that there's like anything super wrong with this movie um, that really takes that star off. I just think that it is one of those movies that you hear so much about um, just colloquially through through others and through academic sources. Um, you should watch it if if you're like going to be a, a cinephile, as it were. Um, but I think it's it's less notable for its entertainment value and more notable for the technical innovations that it brought to filmmaking and the storytelling innovations, not because it is super entertaining to watch in the year 2024, if that makes any sense. At least that's where I would come at it from. Like, so I, I think four is appropriate for that. It's like, it's like hard to stick your finger in anywhere and find a, find something that doesn't really work. But I think if you, I think if like a modern filmmaker made this, they they could like shave some time off and make it a little bit, make it a little bit tighter, um, fix up some things. So yeah, I'd, I'd go like four out of five for me personally. Do we do half stars in this system or are they gone? Um, you, you can, yeah, on Letterboxd. Yeah, you can do half star and some letterbox. Okay. okay, I'll go. I have so much trouble giving this anything other than a five for its length. I was never bored. Um, and I give just a little bit of grace on strangeness for films before, you know, film before 1970 or whatever. And I will yeah. say for a film of that era, it is um, unique and entertaining enough. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would recommend it to a lot of people. Anyone who has three hours to kill. Three and a half hours. And a half. <laughs> Intermission. Now, Neil, before we get to uh, your score and Gideon's score, I, I need to ask you, as as an ultra fan of this movie, do you watch the intermission? I mean, is that the intended experience? Uh, I mean, I think the intended experience for the intermission is, uh, you know, go and get another box of popcorn, get your soda refilled. Oh, right. But you have to do it. You have to do it in that time frame. It's, okay. It's, you can't. You can't uh, wait twenty minutes for your pizza to arrive. It's right. You've got the intermission to get your snacks. Right. I, I I debated doing that. I debated just to get the full experience sitting there and watching the entire 10-minute intermission that was on the Blu-ray. <laughs> uh, so, Neil, I, I can assume you're probably a five? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, I, I, I definitely get where you're coming from, where, you know, like, or I, I think it's kind of like, like, like it, it's so far back in time, but also, like, we 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 brought up the grand illusion earlier where it's like so archaic that I don't think it's like comparable to a modern movie. Um, like except except as except as far as the contrasts go, like but you you you're dealing with a different animal. Like as like the if we're gonna call Seven Samurai like the precursor or like the first modern film, I think you have to compare them. But in some ways, it is comparing like a a Model T to like a modern Ferrari. Like, right? Yes, they're both cars. Yes, they both do the same thing. But like, uh, 
you know, th- th- there's been there's been time to polish. There's been time to you know improve the uh, max speed, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I I, I, st- I think I still have to give it a five, but uh, I, I definitely get why you might want to take some points off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and last but not least, get in. Yeah, um, I mean, I also totally understand where you're coming from. Um, I almost felt like kind of disappointed the first time I watched it, and I was like, almost like that's it. Like I, I almost it has such an epic reputation. I almost expected like these bombastic like battle scenes, and we do get this epic like fight at the end and everything. Um, but I guess it wasn't the same way that I had thought. But upon revisiting it. Um, and just kind of watching it for what it is and just soaking it in like yeah it's definitely a five it's just really cool to watch and experience um it is a bit of a harder recommend for me because i feel like this is a movie it's like you have to want it you know you have to want to sit and watch a three and a half hour movie that's in black and white with japanese audio they have to read the whole time and for most people they're not gonna want that yeah you know? so um, I I would definitely say like yeah you should if you're wanting to get more into movies you might as well check this out at some point you know? yeah yeah absolutely I think that's a good summation right is that it's like a cinematic must if you want to like get it heavier into movies just to see like where everything started where everything came from but you know it has some anachronisms that are kind of like you know it makes it a little bit harder of a recommendation for a modern audience but still there's there's so much here that's totally masterful and and again I would just reiterate that Mifune's performance I think is like one of the strongest pre-Brando era performances that I think I've ever seen in my life um, just incredibly great um, so yeah what do we decide we're going to do for next week guys whose turn was it? Is it Alex? I had recommended Hard Boiled I'm so tempted right now to switch my recommendation to Ben-Hur which I think oh my god another, another like four hour yeah, just to compare and contrast, but let's just stick with Hard Boiled. Oh, yeah, or like wanna, the Ten Commandments wanna, or something. I've yeah. heard so many good things about this movie. I've been craving like a good like kung fu, a serious alternative. Maybe we can compare and contrast to uh, uh, Kung Pao. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to love... Um, I, I've seen Hard Boiled. I love Hard Boiled. You're, you're going to like this it. movie. I'm I excited. Don't Never seen it. So I, don't have a, I don't have a history with it. I just, oh, um, we can give ourselves a fun week after a couple of serious like yeah. Uh, yeah. I so here's so here's a fun story about me and and hard boiled. Um, and this is actually revolves around uh, the house on Sirley that we all lived in 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 college. Gideon, um, there was like a bunch of people in the downstairs that were like not the normal crew. I mean, not just like all the guys who were living there, but there was like you know, like Paige Plaska was there and Oliveria was there. There was just like five or six different people sitting there on the couch. And I was like intensely watching hard boiled and we were like 90 minutes into the movie. And I looked around and everybody was on their phone and I stopped the movie and I yelled at everybody. <laughs> Dude, that's fucking awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> that, that was the precursor to the like, babe, are you on your phone right now? Did you not see the criterion logo before the movie started? Like what's wrong with you? <laughs> that's our guy. That's our guy. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting the good yeah. fight. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, we gotta sit here and watch the we gotta watch the intermission and drink sake, Grace. Yeah. You don't understand. I told you we don't watch movies, we watch films. films. 
<laughs> okay, you well, know, uh, can we orchestrate a birthday viewing or something uh, this weekend of Hard Boil? We'll I mean, talk about it offline. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, on that note, guys, before he goes, you should uh, wish uh, Alex a happy birthday on the podcast. Oh, what uh, what day is your birthday? Ah, uh, Sunday. Sunday. Uh, Sunday. 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 Are you uh, <laughs> are you looking forward to? Do you have any? Uh, are you doing anything special? We're gonna. Uh, Neil's gonna sing uh, Justin Bieber songs at karaoke. Nice. Oh, nice. I, I didn't promise that. Well, we're gonna get you uh, drunk enough that you feel like you're 21. <laughs> You guys should do. I'm feeling 22. That's you guys right. should do the hard boiled challenge where you you each uh you watch hard boiled while eating a dozen hard boiled eggs. Oh god, Jeez. I'm allergic. I'm, I'm allergic. To oh eggs. yeah, that me probably, too. Me too. That probably would kill me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same, same here. Okay. Happy early birthday, Alex. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Well, I'll see you guys here uh, next week, and uh, see you later. Sign on. Later. Later.